please bear with me because it's one of the most foundational things that I'll ever teach. So stay with me because it's uh, extremely important. So you know the big question, right? What's the big question about free will? Do we have it? Do we have it? Yeah, well, that's for sure. Right? Do we have free will? If God knows everything, then if God if God knows everything, how is the decision that I make my own? He already knows what I'm going to do. Past, present, future. Right? God's not a person. Remember that. I keep saying it. Not a person. Not like me and you. It's an infinite being. So, that's a question. Anything else? Why don't you start with the definition Free will. Do we have the ability to choose between good and bad? Do we have the ability to choose? Yeah, 100%. You do? Okay. Not according to many philosophers. Some did think that we do, and many didn't. There's a big debate in philosophy and science whether free will exists or not. So, there's another question, which is, how can I have free will? Not just, is there free will, but how can I have free will? Did I choose the land that I was born into? No. People say, oh, you're part of this uh, Judaism called uh, religious Judaism. We'll call it that way. Right? So they say, uh, you're just a cult. Or these very nice words that they tell, they tell me once in a while. You're just part of a cult. Right? Is it, is it true? Let me ask you. What happens if you were born in some foreign land, somewhere far in maybe, let's say, India or in some small town in China. And there they have their traditions and their culture that they follow. Would you be any different than them? They live very different lives than us. Living in America here in LA, would you have been any different than them? If you were a good kid, you'd listen, obey your parents and follow the rules. And by the time you hit 18, 19, 20, you'll you'll just do what... Because you're a good kid, you'll follow the system. Wouldn't, wouldn't you be any different? So who says we're doing anything that's just because I was born into it? Right? Any of you grew up going to a synagogue? Anyone here grew up going to a shul? Maybe. Okay. You went there because on your own or someone took you there? You just walked there by yourself at the age of two? Right? You had your circumcision by yourself? Oh, that's a, that's a disaster, eight days old. All right, we'll leave it there. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot that's not in our control. It says, you didn't choose to be born. I'm sure you went through this thought. It's like, at some point, we have an argument with your dad or parents. Yeah, I didn't make me. It's your fault, right? So, didn't you go through some, at some point where it wasn't your choice and it wasn't? The land you were brought into? Being a Jew, for most of us, I think, wasn't a choice. You just are. Uh, well, you choose to stay Jewish and identify as a Jew. According to Judaism, you always will be a Jew. No way out. Ha ha. <laughs> but, but you might say, you might say, uh, you know, I'm Jewish, but not by choice. I'm Jewish, not by choice. Well, that's 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 suffering. Uh, it never happens. Oh, 
should ch let's just take my job, maybe for a few weeks. <laughs> so uh, I've had so many people tell me, I am Jewish, but I'm not interested. Or I am Jewish, but it wasn't my choice. So please keep the distance. So um, my question is like this. Yes, we're asking, do you have free will? But where, if I do have free will, where is it? Because I didn't choose my land that I was born in. I didn't choose the family I was born into. I didn't choose the day that I was born, the year that I was born. I didn't choose most of it. I didn't choose my teachers. I didn't even choose the circumstances that I was put in. I didn't choose that. I didn't choose most things. So where is my choice? And is there a requirement to choose good? I mean, kind of. If Judaism says do mitzvot and don't do bad things, be a good person, well, there must be. There's free will. But where is it? If most of the things I do is not even my choice. I don't choose to, my family, my teachers, my friends, my nothing. I'm just a product of my culture. Make sense? Let me ask you on a deeper question, okay? A deeper level. Let's say you have a kid who grew up as part of a gang, a member of the Bloods or the Crips in LA. It's part of a, of, a, of a gang and ends up committing an act of murder. Goes to court and they say, he committed murder, terrible, prison. But wait a second, was it his fault? Yes. All he knew, not entirely, listen, if you did it, it'll be way worse because we expect more of you. But that's all that kid knew. All that kid knew was guns, drugs, rock and roll, or whatever they say, <laughs> right? And I won't say the next one, right? But that's all they knew. That's all the kid knew. What do you expect better of, of that kid? It was a situation where he had to kill because that's all he knew. There was the enemy in lines, the guy from the other hood. So what, what could I have done? Do you, do you get the question? It, how can you even take somebody and convict him for the act of murder if really there was an outside... I'll tell you something even crazier. It says that someone doesn't... In the Talmud it says, someone never does something bad unless some crazy idea went into his head. Ruach Shtut. A crazy idea... It's like a spirit took over him, and that's why he did something bad, or her. No one does something bad unless the spirit kind of took over you at that point. And that's a good excuse. The spirit, it was the bad spirit, it wasn't me. But there's some truth here. How much of what I do is really me? That's the question. Okay? And the answer, straight up, is given by... The Rabbi Eliyahu Desla. I'm taking this talk from a, a few different teachers, mainly from Rabbi Mordechai Becher, who we brought here a few, uh, two years ago, before COVID. PC. Pre-COVID. So, um, so he came and, and he spoke to us about a different topic, but I've, I'm very close to him. I've listened to a lot of his talks, taking a lot of what he said from there, and also from Ramosha Shapiro, and a great, great teacher, Rabbi Rav Eliyahu Desla, who lived in England, actually, um, before the war, and he wrote many, many works on a lot of Jewish philosophy, and he talks about this idea. So he says, like this, the truth is, you do not have free will in most areas. You know why I keep Shabbat? Because I always kept Shabbat. My parents grew me up that way. 
wasn't my choice. It's obvious to me to do Shabbat. Nothing special, maybe, but nothing much special. That was my thing. I was brought up that way. Mikhtav Meliyahu says, most of what you do is not your choice. You're actually a product of your surroundings. So what is your choice? It's called in Hebrew, Nakudat Habakhira. The point of choice, which is where you question yourself. Where I ask, should I do it or should I not? Should I do it? Should I kill that person? Or should I kill that person that way instead? That's the kind of question the blood and the crypts guy would ask. For him, where his question is, shows me where his free will is. Your free will is where you ask yourself, should I do it or should I not? The things that are obvious to you are what we call conquered territory. You've conquered them. Either it's too bad to do it, or it's so good, it's so obvious, it's so good, I, 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 I can never do that. It's too good. It's not me. So there's ideas of conquered territory. There's an example that's given. Anyone know how many people died in World War I? World War I. How many people died? Like a million. A million? Let me tell you. I wrote it down here. 38 million people died in total. How many died in war? 12 million. 12 million died in trench warfare is what they call it. Okay? Trench warfare. What was that like? Well, not as many planes and uh, big rockets and no rocket man. Right? You know what I'm talking about. So there was no, there's no, no rocket, not as many rockets and all that stuff. What they had was, what they had was, they had trench warfare. They'd have these guns, you know, with a, with a knife at the edge of it. And they'd make trenches, all happening in Belgium. The war was between London and Germany, England and Germany. And uh, the war was happening actually in Belgium. From London to Belgium was what we call conquered territory. Let's say the British were the good ones. Uh, not just let's say, they were the good ones. Uh, that's relative. That's relative. True, true, free will. Right? They, they, most of them didn't know better. So, uh, it's a good point. So, from England to Belgium was conquered territory. Were there any Germans in that space? The war was happening in Belgium. It was trench warfare, face to face. Literally, they would build trenches, big, dig big holes, and they would hide in one side. And on the other side, the Germans would hide, and they would fight hundreds of meters apart from each other. From Belgium to Germany, there was no British people. Couldn't get there. If you were caught there, boom, you were killed. From Belgium to London, there was no uh, Germans, right? It was conquered territory by the British. Everyone's getting me so far? Belgium was in the middle. That was where the war happened. And there was conquered territory. From England till the trenches of Belgium, conquered by the British. From Britain, uh, from Belgium till Germany, conquered by the Germans. That was conquered territory. Where was the war happening? In Belgium. That's exactly how it works with us. There's a battle going on. There's certain areas that are conquered territory, areas in our lives that are obvious to us that it's good. It's obvious that I shouldn't steal, most people here think. 
right? It's obvious that if I go to a store and I, pay, I t- pick something off the shelf, I go pay for it and I don't just walk out of the store. It's obvious. No, anyone here is thinking, should I, should I steal from the store and run out without paying? Don't put your hand up because uh, someone might call the cops, right? But most likely, people here are not thinking that way because you were brought up in a way where it was obvious that you shouldn't do those things. So that's good, which is conquered territory. And for most of you, it's obvious, it's very obvious that uh, murder is a terrible thing and you shouldn't do it. That's conquered territory. There's areas in your life which is conquered. There's also, for some people here, uh, it's, they're questioning, should I date a Jewish girl or a non-Jewish girl? Should I date a non- for some people, it's obvious that I shouldn't date a non-Jewish girl. I have to date a Jewish girl. Or for a girl to say, it's obvious to me that I should only date a Jewish guy. Right? So for you, if it's obvious, then it's conquered territory. That means, but you've conquered it. It's yours. For somebody else, it may not be. Everyone's getting me so far? So here's, here's the question. <clears throat> Maimonides says this question. And he says like this. <coughs> we're going off now a bit, but I'm going to go back to free will, and we're going to answer lots of questions tonight. So, Maimonides asks like this, how should a person look at himself? Should I look at myself as good? Righteous? Should I look at myself as wrong? I should do better? Or should I look at myself as in the middle? Hands up for in the middle. Okay, we've got a few. Who thinks I should look at myself as not good enough? Anytime. Okay, I need to do more. I need to do more. Right? I need to do more. Okay. We're talking about spirituality here in terms of mitzvah. And who thinks I should look at myself as good? <laughs> now I'll tell you. I'll tell you there's truth to all of it. Looking at yourself as good means that you're motivated and you say, I'm good, let me do more. Looking at yourself as, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I could do better, I could do better, is also sometimes good because if you can handle your pressure, you'll do more. Now looking at yourself at the in-between, why would that help? In-between? Maimonides says you should look at yourself as in-between. I'm not righteous, and I'm not bad. I'm not, not good enough, and I'm not perfect. I'm in between, right in the middle. Why? He says, because that way, every single second, you'll say to yourself, I just need to do one more good deed, and then I'll be good. One more good. I'm in between. I'm not the best. No pride. And I'm not the worst. I'm in between. Just one more good and I'll be better. Once someone went to Rabbi Vadi Yosef, says to him, listen. And listen to the Maimonides. And he says he should be in between. So I'm in between. But then, an hour later, I went to my parents and I honored them. I gave them a gift. I honored them. I did the mitzvah of Kibbut Avem. So that's it. I'm righteous now. Huh? What should Maimonides say to that? No. One more thing. Rabbi Vadia Yosef says, well, you know, honoring your parents, maybe you had an interest there. It wasn't done fully. There's always a chance you didn't do it with your heart. You know what? Go and do another mitzvah. You're a Benoni. You're still a Benoni. You're in between. 
So he went and he said, okay, you know what, I'll do another mitzvah. He went and gave some charity, comes back running to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I did charity now. I'm righteous. He says, no, you know, it's true, you did it and you gave charity. But when it comes to charity, there's also looking at how much you've earned this year and how much profit you had. Are you giving everything according to the amounts, the 10%? Oh. And again, he went, and another mitzvah. He comes back. Again, Rabbi Badi says, no, but maybe there's a chance that in that area you're good at, but there's another area that you need to still work on. And eventually, basically, a person can leave always and always should leave as an in-between. I'm in-between. Never should I be too high with myself, saying, oh, I'm perfect, because then I'm going to be not motivated to move more. And never should I be too lonely with myself and say, I'm worthless. I'm the creation of God. I can do a lot. Well, am I? I'm in between. That's what Maimonides says. Good? Now, we all know that Rosh Hashanah is coming up. What's Rosh Hashanah? Head of the New Year. Head of the year. Head of Shana. Head is where every, the rest of your body is controlled. Rosh in Hebrew, it doesn't say Chadashana Chadasha. It says Rosh Hashanah. Rosh means the head. What does the head do? It controls the rest of your body. Shana in Hebrew means Shinui. Yeah, it means yeah, but it also means Shinui, change. It's the head of change, the beginning. Beginning is a gift. To have a beginning is a gift. It's the beginning of change. Every single Jewish holiday is about bringing in certain energies. So, the holiday of Passover is the energy of freedom. Hey, this is, we have to define what freedom is. That's another talk I'll say for then. Right? But the holiday of freedom is Passover. Sukkot is the holiday of happiness. Is that what you said? Harvest. Harvest. That's one of the names. But also the holiday of happiness. The energy in the air is joy. The holiday of Rosh Hashanah is the holiday of what? Change. Why change? Because that was the day that Adam was created. That was the day that humanity was created according to Jewish tradition. So I'm plugging in to the energy of renewal, beginning, of when I was recreated. And that was the day that God, so to speak, came the king of the world. Why did he come the king? He, he had a crown on? No, he didn't have no crown. God's not a physical being. But because he created a physical entity, and he's an infinite being, and he's behind everything that he created, on that day he came the king of all his creations. And that's what we do. On the day that he came the king, we blow the shofar, we announce God as the king again. And we start all over again. It's an energy of renewal. And on that day, Maimonides says like this, Stay with me. We're going to go back to free will and it's mind-blowing. Because if you stay with me on this talk, I'll tell you this. Don't, don't fall asleep. Try not to. Right? If you stay with me on this, I guarantee the way you think of yourself and the way you act and, and do and look at other people is going to change. It's very good for your health. So, Maimonides says like this. Maimonides says that we know that everyone's judged on Rosh Hashanah. Like on the, the mountain of Maron. I don't know if you know about how Maron, 
Miron's a very narrow mountain, and only one person can pass a path at the same time. There's certain areas now, they widened it, but when it was written, it's a path that only one person at a time can pass. Every single person is individually looked at by the Creator. That's what Jewish tradition teaches. Not only that, it's all happening at the same second, because God's an infinite being. No human being can do that. But according to Jewish tradition, each person's looked at, and all in the one, sec- one second. Isn't that cool? Everyone at the same time. So, it says in Maimonides like this. It says in Maimonides that a person who is righteous, a person who is righteous, well, what is that? What's a righteous person? He has more good than bad. Will get a good life, okay? On those lines. Let me read this language exactly to make sure that I'm not saying something wrong. Every single person has merits, good and bad. The person that has more merits than bad is called a righteous person. A person who has more bad than good is called a bad person. And half-half is a Benoni, an in-between person, Maimonides says. And that's how you're judged on Yom Kippur, on, Yom, on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, the first day, if you're righteous, you're judged straight away for life. On the second day, the people that are not righteous, are wait, they wait and they have to do Teshuvah. And the people that are in between, also everyone waits till Yom Kippur, where they can actually do the 10 days of improving themselves, say, I regret. There's three ways to do Teshuvah in Jewish teaching. Three ways of, to, of improving. One is saying that I'm going to stop doing the bad that I did. The second is I say that I'm going to regret. I regret what I did wrong. And I don't want to do it in the future again. So there's three areas that a person says, on the, ba- on the past that I did, I stopped. I regret it, and I want to change in the future to not do this again, okay? So within that period of time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the rest of the people, which is how we should look at ourselves, is looked upon till Yom Kippur, and we have to do Teshuvah. Okay, so he says that somebody who is righteous is what? Someone who has a bit more good than bad. Wait a second, how does that work? If you're 51% good, 49% bad or righteous, Does this make sense to you? If you're 51% bad, 49% good, then you're not so righteous. And if you're 50-50, in between, 1%, they're all basically the same. What's going on here? What does this mean? Were you ever troubled by this in your youth? What does this really mean? Right? But how how does it, how can it be it's true that I have to look at myself and say, I need to do one more thing. But how can it be that someone who's 49% versus 51%, how does it, it doesn't make sense, it's not logical. Maybe in the physical world, numbers work, but when it comes, you can't look at somebody and say, okay, he it goes to a different space because he's 1% better than that person. Does that make sense to you? It, you, can't, you can't categorize people like that. What's going on here? Okay, so that's the first question. There's another question. And all this is going to be answered by free will. Stay with me. There's a Talmud that says, on Rosh Hashanah, 
a person is judged, and the decree is on Yom Kippur. Rabbi Yossi says, no, no, no. A person is judged every day. And he brings a verse. And Rabbi Natan, another rabbi in the Talmud, says, ah, every moment a person is judged. What's going on here? Is it Rosh Hashanah? Is it every day? Or is it every moment? This is another statement in the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah 16a. You can go check it out if you don't believe me. But that's what it says. Okay? Every year, every day, and every minute. What's going on here? So, let's look at people for a second and then answer this question. Remember what we said. You only have free will in the areas you question yourself. Not in the areas you don't question yourself. Okay? So, here's a great quote. Rabbi Elia Lopian, another rabbi that lived, that was, that was in England, says like this. He says, everybody in their own eyes is hanging on a thin thread. Anyone to the right of them is extreme. Anyone to the left of them is extreme. Everyone's on a thin thread. I am the right place. Very different to the Benoni. Yeah, I'm a Benoni in the middle. But in the best middle, on the top of the mountain, everyone's extreme to my right and everyone's crazy to my left. That's what he said. Why? In their eyes, they're not like that. In their eyes, they're on the perfect thin line, hair breath, saying that I am in the right place and everyone to my right is extreme and everyone to my left is extreme. By the way, this could be political as well. You can look at it like that too. But people think that way too. So here's, here's, uh, here's some examples that I want to give you of different people. So we gave an example of a gangster. He's walking down the road in some hood and he sees another group, someone from the cribs. And he sees him and he's like, what's he doing in my hood? In his pocket he has a gun, he has a knife and he has some nunchucks. And he says, okay, I've got to do something. Which one is he going to use? Is there a question whether he's going to not use something? For sure he's going to do something. I'm talking about when it's so. I'm talking about when it's not an assumption. Oh, okay. This is not a real case. I'm just giving an example. Okay, it's for sure. The case is that he's all he knows. That guy's in my house. I'm gonna kill him. Let me give you another example of someone else. Someone who's online, and uh, he would never kill someone, but he works. He works online, and he knows how to hack into different accounts, and he could take some money. So his question is, should I steal some money from people online without them ever knowing about it? Then you have another person, that's person number two, right? The online guy, the online, uh, what do we call him? Hacker or maybe, uh, okay, no names, right? Then, then number three is a good guy, right? His question is, should I pay charity or not this month? And, you know, I paid my taxes, I have a bit extra, should I give charity or not? And then you have someone who's super righteous. Not only should I give charity, but where should I give my charity to? Good one. So let me, let's go through these people. Okay? First guy. The gangster. If he decides, you know what? Today I'm going to be a good guy. I'm not going to use the knife. I'm not going to use the gun. I'm going to beat him down till he's almost, he's almost out. Was that a good decision? Yeah. 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 At least he's alive. Yeah. At least he's alive. For him, was that a decision good, Omri? I think, I think there's some merit to it given the context. 
For him, for the gangster kid that will normally kill. For his level. For his level. For his level, was it a good decision? The answer is yes. Okay, on our, for us, not good. For his level, that was good. The guy that's online, that's hacking, decides, you know, today I don't want to hack. Instead, I'm going to, um, you know, make a, some kind of fake uh, account and do, uh, get into some chess game and fool, mess up the game, like some online game or whatever, and then come out. Right? Instead of, instead of hacking I'm gonna, and taking money, I'm just going to mess up someone's program somehow. Well, maybe. But no, no making money. And I'm just going to mess up someone's computer for fun. Right? Is that a good decision for that person? Yes. For us, depends. Okay. Let's say the guy that sometimes gives charity decides, I'm going to give charity. Good decision for him? Very good. And the person that decides not only where should I give it to, gives it to the person that's most in need and then gives to everybody else as well and he's amazing, giving charity. That person's a good guy. Everyone's making a better decision over the other one. Okay? But the question is, what, is it the better of two evils or is it the better of two goods or one good over an evil? Okay, that's the question. From what like, perspective? Well, for the gangster, it's the better of beating the person versus killing him. So it's still the better of two evils, but at the end of the day, for that person, it's the better which is killing, which is hitting him and not killing him. So let me give you a small idea. This is called trench warfare. When that person that decides, that gangster decides to not kill and decides to knock the person down, Right? What's his next choice going to be? He's moved up in the trenches. His war has now gone to a new place. Because he made the decision to not kill the person and only beat him, his next time, he will just let him free and won't even beat him. His questions next time will change because he overcame his previous question. Right. And that's why in Hebrew, the word for Bechira is destruction. Bochel is also cherev, to destroy. Why? Because every time you make a choice, you destroy the previous place that you were in till now. So you were given free will. This is what Nachman Mabrasov says. You were given free will to destroy your free will. Very deep concept. You're given free will to destroy your free will. Meaning every time you make the right choice, you're destroying the previous questions you had. You take yourself to a new place. Nice. Okay, makes sense? So, let me give you an example of the righteous guy. His question was, should I have, where should I give the charity to? So there's a story of a Hasidic master who gets someone comes to his door. Many people come to his door. One person says, Rabbi, Rabbi, please help me. I have no money. I need a thousand rubles. Uh, my family, my... I'm marrying off my daughter, no money. I need, to, I, need, I need the money. I don't know how to do it. So the rabbi says, you know what, wait here a bit. Let's see who else comes today. Five minutes later, someone walks in. Says, rabbi, rabbi, I made a great deal. Here's some of my money. 
my ma'aser, my tithing, I made a thousand rubles. Here, take it, Rabbi. This is for you. The Rabbi says, what? He's giving me a thousand rubles. The other guy just asked me for a thousand rubles. It's from God. Takes the money without questioning it and gives it to the person they asked, the sitting outside. They asked for the money for his daughter. Gives him a thousand rubles. And the guy says, thank you. Wow, this is amazing. Thank you for the money. And he starts walking off. As he walks out, the Hasidic rabbi, the master walks, runs after him, says, wait, wait, wait. Give me the thousand rubles. Snatches the money back from him. And the rabbi goes into his room and starts counting the money. One, two, three, thousand. He's counting, he's looking, he's looking. His students that are with him are like, what is he doing? He gave the guy money, took it back from him, and now he's counting it. What's going on? After he counts all the money, he says, okay. He runs back out, finds the guy that wanted the thousand rubles, and he says, it's fine, take it. And his students look at the rabbi and they say, Rabbi, what were you doing? What was going on? Why didn't he take the money, give it back to him? Now he ran off. What's going on? Why? What were you doing? He says to him, listen, I saw he asked for money and there was a coincidence. I mean, there's no coincidence. It's from God, right? And all of a sudden, straight away, he gave me a thousand. So he wanted a thousand rubles. Five minutes later, someone else gave me a thousand rubles. So I said, for sure it's for him. But then I said to myself, wait a second. Is it the right thing now? I have many people that need money. There's some people that need 10 rubles, 20 rubles. There's many people that, why should 1,000 that I was given all go to this one person? Maybe that's wrong. I shouldn't have given it to him. So he started taking the money back, starts counting it. Then he says, you know what? I gave it to him at the end. You know why I gave it to him at the end? Because firstly, I already gave it to him and now I made him disappointed. It's not fair. Secondly, it was so close to the time that he asked that someone else gave $1,000. It's for sure a sign. And I gave him all the money. What kind of thought is that person thinking? That rabbi? What kind of thought is in his head? God has a power. Right? God has a power. He's thinking when it comes to charity, what's he thinking? Should I take the money for myself? No, you should give it to the people most in need. There's not even a question. He's conquered in his mind. To, when someone gives you money, that you don't take it for yourself. It's all obviously for somebody that needs it. There's no way that I, right, for him, no way that I'm going to take it. Let's say the gangster was given $1,000. And someone says, hey, I made a lot of money recently and I'm giving a 10%. Here, my gangster master, take my $1,000 and use it for your good of, I don't know what, <laughs> right? Use it. What would that gangster say, would think to himself? Better quality drugs. Non-GM <laughs> No, he, for sure he's going to think that. But if he's... You can see that Brian's not a real gangster. Why? What would he really be thinking? He gave me a thousand... He gave me a thousand dollars and he's, ten, he's giving me ten percent? Where's the rest of his deal? Where's his other, where's his other 10,000? Where's that rest of his money? I want it. Right? That's what the gangster would think. But the rabbi wasn't thinking, where's his money? Not even, should I take the money? Where should the money go to? And is it the right thing to give it to this person versus that person? Where you ask shows where you are. The kind of questions you ask yourself shows what kind of person and where you're holding. Okay, so free will was given, we're not finished yet, free will was given to eliminate free will. I know you're going to have questions. 
Because I've still not answered how can it, where is the free will and how is it fair for the gangster, right? But let me just get to the answer here because I want to tell you. Now there's two ways that a person can fight his free will. Remember, where you question yourself. There's two ways you fight your free will. One is the rational way and then there's another one which is the radical way. What's the rational way? Day-to-day struggle. Should I go? Should I get up? Should I not get up? Oh, you got up today? Tomorrow's going to be much easier to get up. You got up the next day? It's going to be much easier the next day. If I make it my routine, should I or shouldn't I? Should I, shouldn't I? Wherever you ask yourself, the next time is going to get easier. Wherever you're asking yourself, should I not? If you do the wrong thing, the next time, your questions are going to be harder, more wrong, right? You've gone down a stage. A person either goes up like this by overcoming each question that they have and takes the better choice of the questions that they're facing. Or, right, or you've got the radical approach. And that is where someone does something which is very different and you can only do that once or twice in your life. Okay, like when you have a war, there's trench warfare, there's the daily battle in the war, and then there's the one-off big bomb that you throw, you know, the big rockets, and the big, it moves the whole battle to a new level. So there's these big bombs that you could throw in your life. For instance, moving to another apartment. Moving place. Moving sometimes out from your home, from your parents' home. Getting married, that's a huge change. Moving country. Huge trade, right? That's a big change. The minute somebody does that, his whole free will and questions can be in a totally different place. Like somebody that was uh, in some gang and uh, was caught with weed or whatever and uh, was in trouble, not just weed, but a lot more, and eventually takes his trip and decides to go to Israel for a trip. He goes to travels around, eventually ends up in Israel, and he's at the Kotel, the Western Wall, and as he's there, someone comes up to him and says, hey, yo, would you like to hear some uh, Jewish philosophy somewhere near here? And he says, no. Would you like to hear some Jewish philosophy with some free food and a place to stay? Uh, maybe. So he's, he went to uh, Aish and started learning there. And left his world of being some gang member and eventually ended up in Israel, ended up in an environment that's completely different. Now, if he would have stayed in that previous environment, it would have been very hard for him to make those choices. But because he changed his environment completely, he completely changed and eventually he got married and he has a whole family and lived happily ever after. Well, it's not always a, the story, but there are many people like that. Like Yom Tov Gleza. Nissen Black's got a story. Right? All these people that made the big changes in their life, the same with us. There's questions that we have, but when the moment comes that we make a big decision, like, shall I get married? Versus, shall I just do this random date, check people out for a while, and then date somebody else and check them out for a while? Let's think about marriage. Right? So that's what we call making a radical change in your life. Because the minute marriage comes in, you're thinking different things, hopefully. You're not still a teenager or uh, somebody who's running into bars or someone, your life starts changing in a different direction. Suddenly you've got a kid in your hands. 
it's like kind of weird if you're just running out and saying, hey, see you, honey. And I'm going to this party two doors away. Um, and, um, you know, I'll try to keep my clothes on or whatever. Right? It doesn't make sense. You can't, you can't be crazy after you get married. Right? It's hopefully, because you made that big decision, you change also the place that you're in and the questions you have. Make sense? Okay. So there's the radical change and the... Uh, the radical approach and the slow approach. So a person can change himself daily by changing every single decision he makes or make a huge step by moving to another place, making those big decisions in their life. Okay? Now, I'm going to finish off with two more points and then you can ask questions. First point is, after all what we said, is the choices that you make builds the map and where your child will be. What kind of battle your child will have. So whatever choices you make in life, wherever you leave off, wherever you are, you're that kind of person. Well, that child that you have is going to be similar to the place that you're in. You can't make your child be in a different place than where you are. It doesn't work. The choices that you make will put your child and make them have questions. The free will of your child is the result of your free will. Now that is a scary thought. Think about that for a minute. Second point I want to tell you is, an uninformed decision is not necessarily a free will decision. If I choose to do something, not because I've thought about it, but only because I felt that way, or my culture made me, and that's the way I always did it, it's called an uninformed decision. Uninformed decisions are most likely driven by environment, environment, environment. instinct, how you feel, right? Yeah. Least likely to be done because you thought about both sides of the coin. And that's why, listen to this, we're right at the end of the Torah. The Torah is in the last Torah portion. And only in this week does the Torah tell us, choose life. There's good, there's bad, there's blessings, there's curses. Right at the end of the Torah, it says choose. Make the right choices. Why right at the end? Why not right from the beginning? Isn't this a book of how you should live? Why at the end? Because if you read the whole book and you understand what it says, you see the two sides of the coin. Then you can make a real choice. It says, Don't just follow your heart. Following your heart, how you feel. Sorry. I will go just with how I feel in my heart. That's what it says this week. That's the worst. That's the worst way that a person can live. An informed decision. Right? That's when you know both sides of the coin. You know exactly what you're doing and what it, both situations, and you make the choice to both ways, right, whatever way you do. The thing is, if it's really, really informed, and you make that choice, you're going to conquer the free will. You'll conquer it, and it'll be obvious that you should have taken that path. Then it's not even a question anymore. You've now got a new question in your free will. But just understand that an uninformed decision is not really a free will decision. It's just instinct. Another thing that I want to tell you, few points that's very important. What I'm talking about is not free will choice of what color socks I should wear today. Right? This is what Rabbi Tat says. It's not about basic things of 
what color clothing, those are all instinctual. The only thing that we're talking about is how you react to circumstances that you're in. The way that you react to right, spirituality, whether you're going to do good or bad, that is something that's where we're talking about free will. The good, or, good over evil. That's where free will is at. Not in an area where it's just an instinctual thing. It has to be an area of questioning, should I do this or not? In an area of good over bad. Blessings over curses. Right? That's where it says, Everything is from heaven. Besides for the fear of heaven. Meaning where you're born, the family, all of the circumstances you're in is not your choice. How you react to the circumstance, that is your choice. And that's another reason that when you look at the Torah, it says, I'm going to finish up with one thing. It says in the Torah, choose. It says choose good. It doesn't say choose good. Do you know what it says? Choose life. Not choose good. It says, look, there's good, there's bad, there's blessing. Is the AC working, by the way? It's stopped. Oh, I, I actually put it. Oh, really? Maybe I'm it's my jacket. So it says, look. Before you, there's blessings, there's good, there's bad, there's curses. That's what the Torah says. And then it says, Choose life. Why does it say choose life and not choose good? It should have said, choose good. It didn't say choose good. It says choose life. Anyone have a good answer? Go on, Izzy. Because there are times where you have to do bad in order to save a life. That's good. What may appear to be bad in order to do good... Good is, is, let's say, abstract, right? It's, uh, it's not, it's dependent on the situation. Yeah, go on. Uh, life is full of choices. Life is full of choices, and therefore? So you're choosing to choose. Your life is of choices. It's a, it's a reinforcement that you have free will. It's like, choose life. Choose Free will, choose good or choose life because life is in itself free will. Yeah. And I like that. It's very interesting. Anyone, anyone else? Any other ideas? So far we've said good. Uh, right? If you choose bad, it's like you're not living according to that. What do you mean? It's, it's like obviously you're supposed to choose good. Good equals life. In this, uh, in this context, good is life. Good is life. So, so it says choose life. That, it's like if you choose wrong, it's, you're not living up to your potential, perhaps. Or you're not Once you choose bad, you're not in the world of living because you're not living to your fullest extent. Right? Good? Yeah? I was just going to add to, like, to that. that like, sometimes you, like, if you don't choose bad then you won't learn them to do, to do good. Like, you have to kind of, like, it's like, like, we're not angels in a way, so it's like, that's why, you know, like, you have, like, you have to choose the life, but not choose bad or good, because sometimes you will choose both, both good, good and bad. Right, sometimes you will choose good and bad, similar to what Izzy said. And I want to add on to that, which is exactly what, what everyone is basically saying, but another idea here, kind of just defined differently. So when you choose... Good, sometimes it's not easy to choose the good. It's very hard. You can't see the good. Let's say someone's going through a very difficult situation. The circumstance you're in is not good. 
It's horrible. Somebody is in a situation, God forbid, the Holocaust. They went through the Holocaust. How can you choose good? I have no motivation at all. Make sure that the choices that you make are choices that will give you life. Not just choose something which is good over bad, but choose something that gives you life. What is that? Torah. The study of Torah. Right? What else gives you life? In order that you should live and your future should live. Something which is long term. Not just investing in the now. The instant gratification. Life is something which is long term. Right? Something which isn't just about the now. It's also the world to come. It's about doing, let's say, good, which gives someone else life. Good is also about life in the long term. That's where life is. Anyway, to answer the questions that I asked originally of Maimonides, how can it be fair that someone's 49% versus 51%, the guy who's 51% good is better than 49%? What's Maimonides saying? Simple. He's saying, what kind of questions are you having? Where are you on this big map? Where are you on the map? How much good is in you and how much bad is in you? How much is obvious to you that you should do good? Where are you? How much conquered good territory do you have? That's what my man is saying. Where are you in general? What have you conquered? The person that's asking, how much charity should I give? Or where should my charity go? Just by his question, I know where he's holding. The person that's saying, should I kill or should I beat the person down? It might not be their fault. For that person individually, great. It's a great decision that he made to not kill the person. But on the map, not conquered much good. It might not be his fault. It might be the result of the family he was born into. But at the end of the day, he still has free will, but he doesn't, on the map, most of evil has, has conquered him. He's not really conquered that much good. Make sense? So that's what it means in the Talmud when it says, every year on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, a person is judged. What does that mean? They look at you, where are you on the map? Where, what kind of questions this year do you have that are different than the questions last year? Are you asking the same questions this year as you did last year? If you did, then you're in the same place. You've not conquered that much. Where are you on the map? But Rabbi Natan and Rabbi Yossi, they argue. They say, no, no. Also, every day you're judged. They're not really arguing. They're saying that's just, in general, individually, every time you make the right choice, you're now judged because you're now put into a new place. Every second, Rabbi Natan says. Rabbi Yossi says every day. Rabbi Natan says every second. Because every second you make the right choice or the wrong choice, you're now being judged based on where you are. You're in a different place. So, that is the answer to all the questions in general. And uh, I would just tell you about this. I don't know if you've heard of this book. It's called The Other Wesmore. Have you heard of The Other Wesmore? A lot of people learn this in school. It's one of the books they learn in school and literature. Here's the story. Two kids named Wesmore. They were born blocks apart within a year of each other. They both grew up without a father in similar Baltimore neighborhoods and had difficult childhoods. They both hung out on the same street corners with their crews. They both ran into trouble with the police. How then did one grow up to be a Rhodes Scholar, decorated veteran, White House fellow, and a business leader, while the other ended up a convicted murderer serving life sentence? This is the book of the other Wes Moore. Wes Moore was reading the newspaper. He sees his name, convicted to prison. He's like, wait a second. My name from Baltimore. Me? I'm 
I'm a guy in White House, White House fellow. How did this happen? And because of that, he decided to write a book. A person, my friends, based on the right choices, right now, can have a massive effect on your life 10, 20 years from now. We think of them as small little seeds that are now, but they have a huge effect 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And by the way, that was my belief ever since me and Shira, ever since we did this job, you impact somebody, even smile to them simply, you say hello to them slightly. So within a year or two years, you planted a seed and that can help them, whether it's mental health or maybe even religiously to come a bit more involved and to have a family and to have Jewish children. That, that could happen. So when it comes, and I have many stories, many. We have a lot of stories of things, of, of things like that. So a person needs to know when you make the right choice, it's not just a choice from now. It's a choice for your children and your grandchildren. And for them also, where their free will is going to be is based on the choices that you make. So that is uh, my blessing to you all, that you should all have uh, the koach, the strength to find where your free will is and to overcome your challenges and always grow to becoming the best person that you can be and um, to always having uh, a life filled with meaning and purpose and goodness and uh, only to be in the, la- in the world on the map where lots of good has been conquered in you and you, it's obvious to you that you should do Shabbat. It's obvious to you that you should uh, marry someone Jewish. It's obvious to you that you should be good and kind and follow the path that you were brought up into and even strengthen it on another whole level. So uh, that is my prayer to everybody that's here. Are there any questions? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, sure. So it's always brought up that whatever is meant to be is meant to be. Hashem is always present. Right. My dilemma, I've always struggled with the idea of free will, whether I choose this or that, it's, all, it's going to happen. So what does my decision impact exactly? Whether I'm going to go there, okay, fine, I'm going to get a little harder or along the road, but I'm still going to end up that way. So it's, am I choosing the right way? Am I still going to end up the right way? That question. Or somebody who, for example, starts, for example, with the idea of being raised a certain way. Do you still have that way out? You didn't choose your... Brought, how you were brought up, but are you going to be able to attain that path? Like so, no, 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 not at all. Um, that is basically the question that we said, which is that if God knows everything that's going to happen to you, then where is your free will? And the truth is, God does know. But who says knowledge is a contradiction to free will? Let's say I see, I'm on a helicopter. It's not like that with God, but let's say, I'm on a helicopter, my vision is that I could see exactly the path that somebody's going to take. I see that he's going here. For him, he's traveling. Five minutes, he says to his wife, I'm going to be home. I'm looking up from the helicopter, and he's not going to be home in five minutes. In two minutes from now, he's going to be in traffic. I I could see it. Does that change whether that person made a choice or not to be on the way home? He still made that choice to come home. Just, I saw that the result of how things are going to happen for him wasn't in his control. He thought he's going to be there in five minutes. But you know what? It wasn't going to be five minutes. It was going to take him 45 minutes. I saw from my helicopter. So just because I see that a kid is going to make the wrong choice. I have five kids. I know a lot of the times what choice right, some of my kids are going to make. Right? The boy is just not going to listen to me. 
(laughs) Just guys and girls are very different. So uh, I see it. You know, you could tell me something, but I see it. So so what my boy is gonna go this path. I see him gonna do that. It doesn't mean that he's still wrong. He should have listened to me. I said, don't do it. I saw he's gonna do it, but he's wrong. Yes, he's wrong because I said, don't do it. I saw he's about to press it. He saw me, and still the opposite. When I know that God is watching me, then the opposite. How did I go against him? It's like a father says, don't touch, the, don't touch the light. And the kid went and touched the light. How dare you? I just told you not to. That's the wonder of this world. That even though God sees me doing the wrong thing that's damaging for me, still lets me do it. So even though he knows that I'm going to do what I'm going to do, According to Jewish teaching, since I understand that I can choose this path that I'm going in, it's still within the realm of free will. Knowledge, basically, is not a contradiction to the act that I'm doing. Just because someone knows from above what I'm going to do, doesn't mean that I'm still choosing to do it. Here's my paper. I decided to put it down on my knee. No, I didn't. Oh, I went up. Right? It's my choice at the end of the day. Even though... God knew that I was going to put it in the knee eventually. But at the end of the day, as long as I know that I can choose and it's within my control, it's still within my realm of free will. Yeah. As you say, I heard a really good analogy. Oh, please. That helps me kind of understand this idea. Yes. Like, if you watch, like, let's say like a boxing match happened, but you're watching it later, like the, everyone knows what the result was, like even because it happened. But when you're watching... The video, Beautiful. those people still, even though it happened before and the result happened, those people still made a decision. So, like, because God doesn't live in a, is it confined to time? Like, Beautiful. he can see what happens, but we're still living through it and making decisions. I love that. That's a beautiful example. Beautiful. Yes. Um, so, I just had like a question also in the Torah, a lot of times. You have different prophets, prophecies come out, come up, and they tell you, um, if you're gonna do this, right? Right. There, uh, then you know, like, why not? Like, there was a like prophecy of Ezekiel, of, like when when the Beit uh, Hamikdash was getting destroyed, right? He's like, oh, don't do tshuva, but at the end of the day, it's like still the result. So why is there even prophecy in Judaism? What's the point of having prophecy if the result is already dictated? Di- dictating. What, like that idea. Okay, so the idea is that the prophecy will hold us to a much higher level. Okay? So, for instance, like this. Is it obvious to you that if you put your hand in fire, you'll burn your hand? Yes? The more clarity you're given, right, the, the harder the free will is, the, the harder the choice is, but the higher the consequence is for your choice. Right? Clarity means you know that it's going to be wrong for me. Mm-hmm. So when, when there is prophecy, it means that the, the, pe- the Jewish people had a bigger clarity that this was the wrong thing for me. And therefore, the repercussions for their mistake was much greater. To fall into place with the wrong decision that they made. So the higher the, the, the knowledge that I'm about to do is wrong, the higher the result is the, the, um, the repercussions of my mistake. So, for instance, if we would do the things that was written in the Torah that they shouldn't have done at the times of the temple, we wouldn't see the results, the, the, the punishments of it, as much. Why? It would happen at some point. We'd have to be clean for the mistakes that we did. 
but we wouldn't see it as much. Why? Because we have less clarity. The more clarity you have, the more confined your free will is. Okay? So would you have a choice to put your hand on fire? If you know that it's so, it's so obvious to you that you'll burn it, so you wouldn't, you still have free choice, yeah, you could burn it, but it's so obvious you're going to burn it, it's going to be hard to do it. Right? So the more clarity you have, the harder it is to do something, and therefore the repercussions for it is going to be greater. Yeah. So just to kind of like piggyback on that, right? Let's say someone comes up to you and says, all right, if you take a plane tomorrow, right, that plane's going to crash and everyone's going to die. Okay. Wow. And they tell you that the day before. So then, do you, do you not go on that plane because the plane's going to crash and everyone's going to die? Or do you know that and still get on the plane knowing that that's what's going to happen? So, today we don't have profits. If somebody tells you that, you'd say, and, and I'm sure this has happened before, don't go on the plane. It's going to be some crazy, you know, someone's got mental health issues or something like really bad. Right? So they'll say, they'll have like, I had this hallucination or whatever. And I don't think you should go on the plane. I'm sure it's happened many times. And the person says, goodbye, I'm going on the plane. And what, guess what happened? They went on the plane and they were fine. So uh, prophecy doesn't exist today anymore. People can't say, I know for sure that this is going to happen bad. Uh, because prophecy doesn't exist. So if they are really sure and they have a feeling and you, it makes you uncomfortable and you choose not to go, fine. But how many times has this happened that someone says, don't go on the plane, it's gonna, something bad is going to happen. And then really something bad happened and you listen, you didn't go on the plane and everyone else, the plane fell and everyone else got hit. Did, how many times did that really happen? And the answer is, it doesn't because we don't have prophecy today. You've heard stories the other way around, like 9-11 stories where you know, someone didn't make it to the office that day because of something else. But that was God planning the system out that they shouldn't go. Not that humans are intervening and saying, hey, don't go. It was just because God made it that his circumstance was that he's not going to go. Right? And he needs to now, if he didn't go, the reaction should be for that person. Wow, God made me not go on that day specifically. I went all, every day of the year. That day I didn't go. That must be a message for me. You have to learn from that something. Okay. Otherwise, the consequences are serious. So if God really wanted to kill you, let's say, the next day, and you didn't get on that plane, there would be another reason for your death. No. This sounds like that movie. What's that movie called? Final Destination. If No, because, because um, it's final, that, that concept is wrong. That concept is wrong. What the concept should be is, oh, if I was meant to be on that plane and I didn't get on it. There's, I have an extra requirement to be grateful and thankful and be happy that I'm alive. And an extra requirement to do mitzvot and do good because there's a message for me here. I don't know what it is, but there's a me- that's what someone should react with. Not, oh, God saved me to kill me again in five minutes later, right? But he saved me so that he wants me alive in this world and I need to do something good to make up for all those lives that were lost. Right? It should be bringing better energy into the world and learning from that situation. Yeah. Um, you mentioned how it was God who saved, in this example, God who saved that person. But how, is it, how do you know when it's God's will versus free will? So who's to say that wasn't the person's decision? So, right. So God's will is in everything besides for how you react to the situation. So truth is, the person that didn't go on the plane was God's will. The person that did go on the plane and got killed, that's also God's will. That was also God's plan. We say, oh, it was a blessing from God. 
because I made this money. But it's also a blessing from God when you didn't make the money and you lost it. That's also God playing in play. Meaning, whether things go good or bad, the circumstance that you're in is not in your control. What is in your control is how you react to the circumstance you're in. Some people go through a very difficult situation and they react to it. They give up life and they say, I don't choose life. I choose to be in bed and make myself unhealthy. And, right? There's some people that say, no, the, react, the situation I'm in is bad. But I need to take control of how I react to that situation. So that's in your control. Yeah. At the end of the day, is it God's will? Yes. But it still is your free will. Now, why? Because as long as... What, what do I mean is it God's will? Because God's will was to have you alive. God's will was that your heart should pump. God's will is that your body should work. God's will was that you should have food today. You should have money today. You should be in that place today. God, right? Every single situation that got you to that situation, when you made that money, or whatever decision you made was God's will that allowed you to do it. To what? It's both. It is, it is at the end of the day God's will, but that person's responsible for what brought him to that situation. Meaning, he had a choice, he had a choice within his situation to maybe think differently, right? At the end of the day, some people try and commit suicide, it doesn't work. Oh, that's strange. Some people do it and it did work, right? So even that is not, in your free, is not really within your will. Meaning someone jumps and somehow there was some soft cushion at the bottom and he's fine. That was God's will too, right? So there's, even within that, there's obviously, if the person does pass on, then it's within their will. But what brought them to that situation, and whatever it was that brought them to that situation, they were in their situation that they're in, right? The family that they were brought in, all things will be taken into account. And at some point, they will be um, accountable for something that they did. We can't know for sure. By the way, suicide is one of the worst things you could do for your neshama. It, it makes the soul completely in Kabbalah and teachings. Suicide makes the soul really go through a very difficult process after. You think it's going to be easier. No one likes this world. Most people don't like this world. This world's not an easy place to be in. Right? At some point, you start losing people and this and that. It's not an easy place to be in. A world, this world has work and demands of you. No one has it easy. Right? But to people think that by taking myself out of this world, it's going to be easier because then I'm going to be in an eternal bliss. Well... Jewish teaching says that as soon as a person dies, your soul lives on. And that's going to be a very painful process. Then a shaman is lost, and it's, uh, it's in a certain, it goes to a special place. It's very painful. It's not worth uh, making that decision at all. You're given life. Every second you've been given that life, use it for as much as you can, no matter what situation you're in. It's not easy to say, but that is the, that's the rule. Any other questions? Yeah. There's no such thing as randomness. What do you mean? No, all of it is... Yeah, there's no such thing as randomness. Humans God is involved in everything. Humans are wired to not think of things they can't see. They only think of things they see. So then, 
high impact events that are random don't matter? I don't, give me an example because I'm not following. An unforeseen high impact event that we would consider random. Uh, why did you see it? Black Swan, you mean? Yeah. Like a, a, like so so why, why did you see it? If you saw something that you're, you say humans are trained scientifically to see things which they're used to seeing, and suddenly you randomly saw something, that's even a greater proof that's, that there's divine intervention in that thought. So from the eyes of God to us, there's no such thing as random. No. Yeah, there's no so such from thing. from us above, there is. Well, from, from God's eyes, the, the randomness is when you make a good choice. So it's perspective. That determines it, not is that what is that what the major conclusion is? <laughs> I hope I didn't leave you confused. Um, <laughs> the okay. major conclusion is yes, it is somewhat based on perspective, okay. but you are also accountable in every situation you are, right? That's why you can never judge someone. You can never judge somebody else because based on that person, the family he was brought up in, and he was brought up in a gang family and whatever, he did an act of murder. You can't judge him. You don't know exactly what situation he was in. Right? That got him to that situation. That's why we need the Torah and the guidance of the Torah that tells me, oh, that person did an act of murder. You have to, there's an underlying theme of good and bad that we need to stick to to have a healthy society. Right? You need the Torah to guide me. But truthfully, between me and you and between God, for sure, he knows exactly what's in that person's heart. And a lot of what he did wasn't within his choice. But what was in his choice, he's accountable for. And what's not in his choice, maybe his parents will be accountable for. Maybe his friends will be. Someone's accountable for that too. Whatever's within your, whatever within what you question yourself, you are accountable for. And then there's the overlying, overarching truths that never change. Thou shalt not murder. Uh, you know, these are truths that, are, that don't change. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts? Okay. We're good. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night.